So have you ever felt like your sense of purpose was really kind of fuzzy? Your future was maybe a little fuzzy. I mean, I've worn glasses since I've been nine years old. And so I'm blind as a bat. I mean, if I take them off, I can't see my hand in front of my face. And a lot of people live their life like me first thing in the morning without my glasses on. Everything is blurry. Have you ever struggled with setting goals, maintaining goals, following through on commitments? Ever feel like your life is pulled in a million different directions with like a thousand competing priorities? And you're often caught between trying to live your life the way you feel you're supposed to be or fulfilling the expectations of others, which always seem to be changing. If that's you, holla, amen, back at the podcast right now. If you're in your car, if you're at home, if you're at the gym, I want you, I want you to holler amen right now. If that's ever, raise your hand if that's been you. And if that's been you, I'm super excited because this next series of episodes is designed just for you. My name is Adam Shaw. And I'm Stephanie. And this is The Restorationist. So welcome everybody to The Restorationist. My name's Adam Shaw and I've got my wonderful co-host with me, Stephanie, here with me today. And the next few episodes are going to be the two of us just walking through our personal journey of developing a sense of clarity in our life, in our family, in our ministry, developing a sense of purpose. And we want to walk you through some some stuff that we have read. Some of the information is that we're going to be presenting a, a lot of the system we're going to be talking about does not originate with us, and, and we're really open about that, but it comes from one of my favorite authors, Patrick Lanchoni, and he wrote a book on family that absolutely revolutionized our, our life, and we've been talking about doing this season forever, and it just felt like now is the right time to do it. And we want to talk to you just from the overflow of the transformation that's happened in our life. And uh, again, the credit goes to the book, Three Questions for the Frantic Family, for a lot of what we are going to present here today. We were just, we've always tried to be more productive. We've always tried to get better. And it just seemed like every productivity system that we looked into, I mean, it just, it didn't work. It was too complicated, had too many details. And I mean, life is hectic and life is busy enough. So finally, we stumbled across this resource. We developed a curriculum that we taught in our local church from it. And uh, we just thought, man, this would be really cool to do on the restorationist because so many people reach out to us and want to know about how we kind of structure and organize our life. And so if you are married and you have children and, and you're in ministry, this season is for you. If you are married and you don't have any children, uh, this season is for you. If you're thinking about getting married, this is especially for you. And yes, if you are single and ready to mingle, this, <laughs> this season, this season is for you too. So in this first episode, we want to talk about we call it the big why. What what led our family to this moment and uh, what sparked the change in us and what are some of the principles that we adopted in our life as we worked on creating clarity for our family 
and worked on an efficient way to set goals. And and to kind of kick us off, Steph, I want to turn this over to you and you kind of just walk everyone through where we were at. Uh, is it is it two years now? About two about two years ago. So take it take it away. I remember feeling it's not supposed to be this way. Who here loves the feeling of chaos? Chasing the mirage of some kind of unattainable life through wading through the chaos of every day? How about the feeling that you're trying your hardest but not really seeing the results that you want to see? I think we can all agree that this is not the way that life was intended to be. I often found myself daydreaming about a life in a simpler time and, you know, pondering the question, what is it that we need to do? Do we need to move out to the country? Maybe move to a smaller city and get away from the the busyness of a large city, the commutes, the traffic? Maybe downsize to a smaller house or become a minimalist, jump on the trend and get rid of everything that doesn't make us happy. None of these really solve the underlying problems because when I was talking about it with friends, I realized that this chaos went far beyond the home or the city that we lived in. It was a structural problem within our lives. It was a, it was a lack of clarity. We wanted to be a Christ-focused family. We wanted to raise our son to be a good Christian with good values and loving the church and its mission. We wanted to be balanced in our approach to life, but how could we do this? You know, was there a book that we needed to read or did we need to talk to different friends and family? Did we need to try their approaches to raising their family? So we tried new things. We incorporated new thoughts, new methods, Adam maybe trying one thing and me trying another. And the end result, it was chaos. We weren't unified as a family. So just for context, here was a snapshot of our life. We were trying to support our son's, his education. I'm I'm an executive pastor at at a church as well as a district youth president. Uh, And I I traveled at at this particular time in our life. Um, I was traveling quite a bit for for ministry and other things. And, you know, I work a full-time job um, in a very busy office and we're trying to make sure that we took time to, you know, be healthy, cooking healthy meals. Our son has an allergy. So we do a lot of our own cooking at home. And, and on top of that, we're trying to find time for meaningful friendships and relationships with our family. Not to mention we're supposed to be praying all the time and reading our Bible and talking to God. Yeah. There's that. And then developing our own family traditions and, um, you know, taking time out for our own personal family. We had sports one night for Judah and then swimming lessons the other. And then there was church. I mean, we had a couple of services on Sunday. Um, There was midweek and then there were meetings throughout the week. Bible says it had to be taught. And then there's all the household stuff too, which feels like that never ends. You're right. Dishes, laundry, you know, cleaning our house, grocery shopping, and then all the other things that go with it, um, you know, cutting the lawn in the summertime or shoveling the snow in the wintertime. And it all resulted in feeling like we had so little time for the things that we felt truly mattered, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just so little time for ourselves, for our family, for others. And I mean, you're technically not supposed to say this out loud, but like, let's just say it out loud. Our time with God, the bedrock of what we feel our life was all about, you know, our spiritual health, that was being squeezed out by a million different voices and competing priorities. We felt like life was acting on us um, instead of us being the ones that were in charge. 
We hope that we were moving the ball forward in all the right places. After all, we had all of our bases covered, right? But we didn't because what, what we ultimately lacked was clarity. And uh, I, I bet most families can identify with ours. And this is something that when we stumbled across three questions for the frantic family, this is something that, that Pat said, and it felt incredibly um, relieving to, to hear it. And, and I quote, most families identify with ours. Complaining about crazy lives we lead is like a rite of passage in our culture. Unfortunately, our... Our society is facing a serious epidemic of chaos in families, the cost of which is real and painful. And that was where we were at. It was, it was, we, we were in that, well, you know, you're so busy. Let me up my, you're busy with, with my busy. (laughs) And at the end result, nobody won this game. There were no prizes other than no sleep and, and feelings of chaos, internal chaos and internal pressure. And this growing disconnect between where our lives were and where we felt they were supposed to be as, as leaders in, in a local church and as simply a family, as a couple with a son trying trying to follow Jesus and be a good disciple. So we've used clarity a, a bunch of times already in this episode. And so I might as well give you a, a dictionary definition of of clarity. And we're gonna and we're gonna give you we're gonna give you kind of two working definitions for this this episode and the episodes that are coming after. And um, number one is from Cambridge uh, Dictionary and, and clarity is the ability to think clearly and not be confused, the quality of being easy to see and to hear. The idea is that there is this that there is this level-headedness within you that despite everything that's going on, you've got a you've got a very clear picture of what your future and what your life is supposed to be like. And then then Pat's definition is clarity is the information and framework we need to make a decision in the most informed and intentional manner possible. So it's not just the ability to be clear headed and uh, and have a have an easy to understand and ascertain, you know, picture of the future and of where your life should be. But clarity is also the framework that you have in your life. That, that you put all of your decisions through so that you could make informed and intentional decisions. Because this is the, one of the things that we were, we were facing, right, Steph? That without clarity, every decision that confronts us, it would just bring so much anxiety and stressful uncertainty and even unproductive conflict. And, and what's the result of that? So the result was that we made decisions that were based on what we saw other people do as opposed to what makes sense for for our family. And we governed our lives according to outside pressure instead of internal values and goals. And this is a shame because family should not be complicated. Running a family should should not be complicated at all. And I feel like there's probably a whole lot of people listening right now. This is another time for people to say amen into their phone. Is uh, we live our life via FOMO, fear of missing out. We live our life through Instagram comparison. We live our life through seeing the vacations and the choices and the spending decisions of of other couples or other single people, and we feel 
we feel that we should do what they are doing all of the time. Is, is that not right? That, that's kind of where we were at. Yeah, there's always pressure. And so we felt like this is the, not the way that it should be. And so let's simplify our life. Let's simplify our family was kind of the approach that, that we wanted to take. And like most things in life, we discovered as we move forward that, that gaining clarity, getting that framework to make those intentional and informed decisions, having, having that uh, clear picture of the future really wasn't that hard. It just came down to mastering a few simple concepts that require a little bit more persistence. So what we're going to do for this episode, the remainder of this episode, is we want to just walk through some governing principles. I know you may be thinking, but no, 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 Adam, Steph, just jump right in. Tell me what I need to do right now. My life's chaos. I feel pulled a million directions. I, I understand where you're coming from. Your story is my story. I got FOMO. I'm I'm living my life through comparison. I'm living my life through the the lens and the and the priorities of others. Just tell me what I need to do. Well, no, we before we do that, we've got to run through a few governing principles that that have to be in place before you jump to execution. If you jump to execution before we all agree on a few principles, then all you'll do is create more stress, create more chaos, and just exacerbate your sense of, of failure and discontentment in your life. And so here is the first really big principle. And that is your family is an organization. So here's a question for you. If a business or organization will sit down and figure out who they are and what they're trying to accomplish, well, then why shouldn't families? And if you're not a family, if you're a single person, why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't you figure out who you are and what you're trying to accomplish with your life? Even mediocre companies will sit down and figure out what their priorities are, how they differ from others, and what their advantages and disadvantages are. They don't just wing it. So in our personal lives, we make lists and prioritize things like vacations, books maybe that we want to read. New pens, new pen purchases. <laughs> Clothes that we want to purchase. But we often don't take time to think about the big picture. Most of us, we go about you know, leading and managing our families with almost no formal clarity. We just lurch from whatever urgent decision is screaming for our attention to the next, and we don't take time to just really explicitly decide who we are, what we stand for, what we want, and how we are going to go about succeeding and thriving as a family. And the question is, why don't we? Why don't we do that? Because we don't think of our families as an organization in need of a vision, strategy, leadership, or planning. It, it seems formal and often silly to, to talk about your family or your individual life in such, you know, corporate terms. But the, the end result of that, at least, at least for us, right, Steph, is that we went on living clarity-free lives. And so we made no strategic, really strategic decisions or no decisions that look forward to the future or are based on a larger vision or larger situation. Every crisis, every decision every pressure point was was kind of acted or decided on on a case-by-case -case basis. And often people do this. Every decision or issue is dealt with in an isolated way. And then we wonder, 
We wonder why every day feels like a disconnected, reactive game of survival where we're just responding to the urgent, but we are, as as Dwight Eisenhower says, never acting on the important. And life becomes a grind, a grind without purpose or a grind without progress, any sort of progress that we actually crave. So that's why principle number one, is your family is an organization. I, re- I remember looking at it when I was reading Patrick Lencioni's book and he made this comment, the family is an organization. And this is one of the principles we've extracted from his book that you know initially it was really easy to kind of turn your noses up at this, at this idea. But to all of you married couples that are out there, what do we call it? We call it the blank of marriage, the institution of marriage, right? We talk about marriage as an institution. Marriage and family is an institution. And the definition of an institution is this, an organization founded for religious, educational, professional, or social purpose. Now, where we get our definition of family from is from the Bible. And when we read about the first family in Genesis. We read about what God had to say about family in the book of Genesis. I mean, it sounds a whole lot like an organization operating with a mission and vision to me. I mean, let's take a look at at Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 31. Why don't you read that for us, Steph? Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for your food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then when we read the creation story again in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 20 we read, Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a helper, not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place, and the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24 is this really, really powerful verse. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The family was the first institution that God ever made. 
God made Adam and Eve with purpose and intention. He gave them mission, values, and priorities. I feel like this was so clear in that original creation story. God gives them this this command of take dominion, subdue the earth, populate the earth, uh, reflect my glory in the earth. All of these things were laid out. They sound, they, Adam and Eve in the garden don't sound like a, 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 a couple running around with like, you know, crazy hair, all super stressed out because all of these animals were running crazy all over the garden. No, it sounded like they had a very specific mission and purpose that God had created these two sentient beings for the purpose of fulfilling his mission and his plan on the earth. And that's why they were there. Now, if it wasn't, now a little theology for you, if it wasn't for the fall of man, there would not be a need for the church because the family was the first and original institution that God created. The family was designed to be a this microcosm of God's relationship with the world. And, and the need for the church came as a result of the collapse of the family into sin. And, and so at now the family is, is a microcosm of the mission of the body of Christ. Now I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5, 22 and 33. It says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of his church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submit to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. And then Paul quotes what God said through Moses in Genesis as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united to one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And so like the local church is representative of the larger worldwide body, the family is a living, breathing example of God's purpose on the world. So Adam and Eve may have messed up in the garden and they may have messed up God's plan for the family. And, and as a result of the family's plunge into sin, you know, got Cain killing Abel and just the uh, sin wreaking havoc on the world and people are now corrupt and they're now fallen and they're not fulfilling the purpose that God gave men and women in Genesis because God loves us and because, you know, he's died for us and he set the church up. God has given families, God has given couples a brand new purpose. And that is now through Christ, the family is supposed to represent the relationship and the mission of Jesus with his church to the rest of the world. Your family or the family that you will have one day is here to follow Jesus and at the very least turn the next generation that is to come after you into dedicated disciples of Jesus. 
for example, I always say to Judah, and Ezra, you guys actually got me uh, a coffee mug. I think it was last Father's Day. It says coach on it. I always am telling Judah, I'm your man coach. I'm here to tell you how to be a man. I'm here to tell you how to follow Jesus. So what am I saying? I, I read a bunch of scripture, talked a whole bunch, but what, what am I saying? Is that yes, your family is an organization. We see in Genesis and we see it restated again in the New Testament that the family has a purpose. That couples that have have a have a purpose, and even if you're single right now, I want you to understand that 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 marriage is not so that you can just you know have this awesome romantic life, or marriage is not just so that you know you have this this person who is your best friend uh, that you get to live with. Marriage is about the purpose and the mission that God has for the world. And the family is to be a perfect ref, uh, reflection or attempt to be a complete representation of that purpose and plan for the world. So your family is an organization. As we will discover, looking at your family with the same intentionality as a CEO does a large corporation is certainly not going to rob you of any joy, any purpose, or any fun because it did not rob us at all. Let's go to principle number two. Steph, take it away. So principle number two is the 80-20 rule. And some of you may have heard of this before, but the 80-20 rule is that 20% of the work accomplishes 80% of the results. 20% of the work accomplishes 80% of the results. So it's not about piling on more work into your already super busy, overloaded, overwhelmed life. It's about finding the right things that will make the greatest impact and making those your top priority. So it's really not about working harder, but it's about working smarter. <laughs> so there was a moment for me a couple years ago when I realized that this principle was really working. I'd had a busy, chaotic day at work. We had so many unplanned interruptions to our day. Judah was sick again. He was fighting croup and, you know, we were trying every method that we could, getting a new prescription from the doctor we had to go to the hospital pharmacy, just had one interruption after another. And I sat back and felt defeated because I had a huge to-do list um, that I'd wanted to accomplish that day, but it was completely untouched. But then I realized that we'd, we'd already won the day. We'd accomplished the 20% that was the most important to our family. Even in the chaos of that day, we had, we'd moved the ball forward. You see, 80% of our day was filled with the things that were urgent, but not important to our goal. But it was the 20% that actually moved our family forward. And then let's go to principle number three. So here's principle number three. And uh, again, this comes from Three Questions of the Frantic Family by Patrick Lynchoni. Again, huge plug for the book. You need to buy it. Principle number three is fast, fast, fast. That the system that we're going to talk about, that we use in our life, should only take you 10 minutes a week to manage. Any more than that, it's too complicated. Once you take time to set this up, managing the process and setting up your week should only take 10 minutes. And what this, what this does, what we have found is this will teach you to make better decisions. So many times we have suffered from the, a paralysis of analysis. That's like we're just 
continually talking back and forth about the right thing. But when you learn to pull the trigger faster on your decisions, you're better for it. Because one of the things that you're gonna find out is that some stuff in life that you wanna accomplish or you wanna see happen in your family, you don't know if it's actually going to work until you try it. And if it doesn't work, you have the ability to pivot the following week. And because you've only spent 10 minutes, you don't feel like that you have lost so much time. Because one thing we realized is that everyone, in the words of the uh, you know Pastor Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And so fast, fast, fast is principle number three because you're gonna have to pivot and respond to the dynamic, shifting, changing, chaotic world that is your life. And so this is not about adding more work, this is about working smarter, and it's about putting a time limit on your ability to set your goals for the week and get clarity for your week so you can act upon and fulfill the mission that God has for you. Let's go to principle number four. So principle number four from Patrick Leon. Lenchoni. I know it's it's a funny name. <laughs> he, in his podcast, no, no, it's fine. In his podcast, <laughs> he often corrects people on how they pronounce his name nearly every episode. I'm not going to try that again. Lenchoni. Um, he said, make the perfect, don't make perfect the enemy of good. A simple plan that can be implemented quickly is better than a perfect one that takes months to put into practice. This is so important. Say it again for the people in the back, Steph. <laughs> a simple plan that can be implemented quickly is better than a perfect one that, that takes months to put into practice. Yes. I think so many people, they struggle with this. That is, they make perfect the enemy of their of of the good they we want the perfect thing and i'm probably the worst one for this <laughs> like i'm constantly the guy that's like what is the best way like i literally i googled it this morning best way to fry an egg turns out what you do is you put it in a pan with some oil <laughs> and then you fry it but you got to salt and pepper afterwards so that you don't pull moisture. Anyway, you just Google it. You can look at it later. Um, but don't make perfect the enemy of the good. And this is the thing I struggled with the most when our family started this process. It really was a godsend, a godsend when, when we got our hands on this book. I struggle with this statement that, that Patrick Lynchoni makes. I struggle with it the most of anything he's ever said or anything he's ever read. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing at 50% effort. Oh yeah, I can see how that would bother you. It would tremendously bother me. Cause I'm like, you, if, you, if you're not gonna go hard, you don't do it at all, right? <laughs> but that sometimes is the worst solution. We strive for perfection when what we should be striving for is results. And I think that's something, that's something so important for us all to, all to understand. Do not make perfect, the enemy of the good. Because when it comes to your life and when it comes to family, perfection cannot be the only option. This process, it really works. I'm a slow adopter and it took some time, but once I read my life and the pages of the book, I realized that this could be the thing that would take our family to the next level and take a as to where we wanted to be and, and quite frankly, where we needed to be. And so 
Since we've started the process, we've noticed a lot of large and small changes. It's reduced stress on our family. And even on the days where there's a lot of stressors, I know if we can accomplish the task on our scorecard, we've moved our family forward. Another thing it's done is it's helped reduce pressure. This is something that I struggle with. My personality is wired for results and I can't relax if I know that there's work to do. Well, guess what? There's always work to do. So I had a hard time relaxing, but now I know if we've accomplished our scorecard that the most important jobs are done and the rest is optional. Lastly, this process has provided clarity on some of the most mundane days and weeks. Sometimes you don't feel like you're winning or you don't have a, the, the get up and go or a drive to succeed. But this process takes the thought out of it and breaks it into tasks that are manageable, actionable items. So the December before we started this process, before we developed, you know, radical clarity for our family, one of the things that we wrote down that would be a win for our year would be that our son, Judah, would get the Holy Ghost. And so we started pushing. We developed clarity. We embraced the fact that family was an institution and that 20% of the effort produces 80% of the results. We embraced fast, fast, fast and learned to make better decisions. And we, and we learned that and we embraced as much as it graded against our personalities that perfect was the enemy of the good and we developed a process to make our family healthier. And we said, one of the ways we know this is winning is our little boy is going to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, evangelist Chris Green, shout out to my friend Chris Green, an amazing preacher, came by our church a few months in. And would you know it on a Sunday morning, Chris asked if there was anyone who wanted to receive the Holy Ghost. Judah was the first one on the altar. He put his hands up in the air. And and if you've ever heard Chris preach before, Chris Green is an absolute beast. He prayed a prayer of faith. And that Sunday morning, I think there was something like 25 people that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in that service. And one of the very first ones was Judah. And literally within 15 minutes of him receiving the Holy Ghost, he was begging me to take him to the baptismal tank so that we could baptize him in Jesus' name. And at that, that how old was he? Was he five? Yes. He, had, he was five years old. He's going to be turning six a couple of months later. He's only five years of age. So, yes, we are going to be dealing with some things that are probably going to stretch you and push you. You are going to have to sit down and you're, are, you're going to have to make some hard choices about your time. You're going to start talking about the success of your life. And if you're not used to doing this, it may, it may feel weird, but you'll get used to it. Trust us. You're going to have to sit down with your, with your spouse sit down with the person you're engaged to or just, you know, sit down by yourself at a coffee shop and you're going to have to stop approaching your life through all of these touchy-feely emotional terms 
which I mean, honestly, I'm the emotional one in the family, so that's that was the hard part for me. And you're gonna have to start thinking of your life as if it's an organization that God has brought to planet Earth or is allowed to live and be born into the Earth for a particular purpose and mission. I'm telling you though, if you will embrace the process that Steph and I are gonna take you on over the next few weeks, that God will honor it with some pretty powerful results. And more importantly, you're gonna learn how not to be chaos. You're gonna get some great clarity and you start reaching your goals. I think it's a good place to stop, don't you? Okay, so we will see you again in two weeks. We can't wait to connect with you again as we talk about developing values. And I hope you will uh, join us in two weeks for another great episode. As always, y'all have a great day. Steph and I are praying sincerely for all of you that do listen to the podcast. And uh, may God bless you so very much.